I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. The theme of this week's show is comedy. My guest is Ariel Sinner. Ariel is a multi-talented comedian, improviser and musician known for her quick wit and clever wordplay. She teaches and performs improv regularly at the Backline Improv Theatre in downtown Omaha. She is also a member of two popular local bands, A Ferocious Jungle Cat and Ariel and the Argonauts. So, Ariel, welcome to the show. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, is it a trial being a comedian and then people always expecting you to be funny immediately? Just Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're a comedian? <laughs> Tell me a joke. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm a particularly funny person. I mean, I guess I can be goofy and kind of silly, but I'm not like always on. Um, there's a difference. There's a big difference between being funny in real life and being a good performer and a good comedian. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to kind of play both parts. I sometimes think there's this mythology around being a genius <laughs> and always, um, if you are a genius, there's a dark side somehow. To you, you know, it comes from somewhere, and that that muse is is sort of provoking this this mythology. Is that similar with comedians? They're always funny on the outside, but you know, there's you know, it needs to be grounded in some real darkness in some way. Yeah, um, well, like Tignataro says, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Um, you know, we kind of you kind of hear that a lot that comedians have this darker side that they're really just kind of depressed, down and out people who. Uh, you know, their outlet is making other people laugh. I think that, that that's kind of true. I just, I don't really subscribe to that. I think, you know, we all have our stuff that we deal with and we carry around. And some people just have a knack for comedy and others don't. I don't know. I don't think that there's like one kind of type or stereotype for a, a comedian in that way. Do you, so you mentioned types and, and so let's be clear, I know little about comedy and we'll, we'll, we'll come um to my excursion into improv maybe a little later but um so are there types of comedy or comedian uh sure i mean you know there are people that you know like think about like ellen degeneres who um is so much of a, a positive comedian and um she doesn't like to contrast people she just likes to point out funny observations about the you know human nature and about life and um she's very uplifting but she's dealt with her stuff too right um whereas you know there's somebody like um, Louis C.K., who seems to be the cynic uh, from every corner of life. Um, so, sure, there are people that have their their kind of like their go-to for their style of humor, and it's sort of up to your audience to see what they relate to and what they grab onto. Um, but no one type is right for everyone. So, do you have a particular comedic bent for yourself? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I like the more. Uh, I like silly observations, you know. Um, it's hard to just kind of define your own sense of humor. Um, I definitely lean more toward the positive, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's a tough question. I would have to think about that more. So tell me how you came to find your way in comedy. <laughs> uh, well, so I'm, I'm originally from Kansas City, and I moved up here... Um, to Lincoln actually after I graduated from K-State and I was there for a few years 
And I had a roommate who just kind of had it on a bucket list. It was like a New Year's resolution type thing um, where she was like, I, I want to try stand up and I'm going to go to this open mic. I'm going to write five minutes of material and I'll try it. So I went and watched her perform for the first time. And comedy is one of those things that seems unattainable until you watch someone you know do it. And then it's like, oh, you know, I know them. They're a real person. If they can do it, you know, this is something that I could also attempt. Um, so I, I watched her do it for the first time and then I started writing material and she and I would go together. We started taking improv classes together and it kind of sprang from there. What was it that then drew you deeper and deeper into it? Because you've been doing it for... Yeah, what hooked me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for, you know, going on five years now, um, which isn't a long time, I think, in the biz, but um, you got to start somewhere. I, I really... You know, I'm, I'm an introverted person, um, but there's something about performing and the psychology of it and what makes people laugh um, and writing things in different ways that are funny to different people. Um, the psychology of like, I could tell the same five minutes of material one night to one audience and have crickets and then tell it again to a different audience and feel like it was the best set I've ever performed. And that kind of, it sounds crazy because there's a lot of up and down and it's pretty emotionally um, exhausting, really. Um, But the psychology of it and figuring out um, what people react to is really interesting and kind of a deeper level of comedy for me. So that's why I keep doing it. Could you tell me a little bit more about the emotional aspects you've mentioned, the psychological side of it? It seems to make sense, but then that amount of emotion, it seems, Mm -hmm. that is expected of a comedian may be somewhat surprising. Sure. You know, whether it's stand-up or improv, a great set can make you, I mean, that's a high like none other. Um, Coming off the stage and feeling like you killed is something that can put you, like, it just puts me in another world. Um, It feels great. But I could do, you know, the same set or the same stage on another night and just feel like I want to be dead (laughs) because it was like it bombs or, you know, something didn't go well. The audience didn't seem to like it. And that feeling of like putting yourself out there in that kind of vulnerable you know way of like I'm sharing you know these inner kind of creative thoughts that I have and and, um, you know presenting this to you and you hate it uh, is very emotionally wearing. So how do you come back to that I mean I would imagine that would be on the one hand addictive this idea of a an audience roaring with laughter and and you're on top of the world but then if you do have that set the bombs and you've you know you've sort of metaphorically speaking, you've entered that world naked and they're laughing, (laughs) not at you. Uh, That must be terrible. It is. But, you know, I kind of have this mantra, even after a failed set, which to me isn't really a fail because I still did it. You know, I, I still tried it. And I think... So I have this mantra of like after a show, even if it didn't go well, I'm looking at the people in the audience and maybe they're thinking like, oh, that was terrible. I could do better. You know, I'm sure I could perform better. Okay, but you aren't right. I'm the one that's actually doing it. At least I'm trying. You know, you may sit in the audience forever and want to do something, but not have the guts. Even if it goes poorly for me, at least I'm doing it. You know, does courage go hand in hand with comedy? Ugh. I guess it has to in some way, but I feel like I know a lot of comedians that may disagree, but yeah, I think it has to, you know, you put yourself out there and it's, you make yourself vulnerable. Um, 
luckily you can sort of run off stage and hide and you don't have to respond to the audience directly if you want to afterward. But, um, you know, especially and like you get into the whole like online thing and, and people can put their opinions out there so freely. And if, if you have your critics, it's that much easier for them to get to you. Um, and locally it's a little bit easier to deal with because people don't expect as much, you know, from, you know, somebody that's a professional comedian, but, um, but yeah, I think it, t- it definitely takes a sense of, you know, a certain amount of courage. There are probably many such shows, but I'm thinking of shows like The Office mm-hmm. and maybe in particular the the British version of that. Um, and I'm not trying to be biased here. Um, <laughs> sure. Sure. But there seems to be something excruciatingly painful as an audience member watching shows yeah. like that. and. On the one hand, we've been talking about how vulnerable you are as a comedian, exposing yourself to, to you know the topic and the audience. But sometimes watching comedy can be excruciating for the audience too because you know it's funny, but it's so close to a sharp truth mm-hmm. that maybe you don't feel the blade, but you can see the cutting edge of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if, you, if you're aware of that with your audience, if you, if you can tell that they're, you've hooked them but they're really uncomfortable. Yeah. I can think of a few sets in particular where, when that's happened. Um, sure. I, you know, and some, you'll hear some people say like, oh, you shouldn't joke about that um, in reference to certain topics. I am personally a comedian of the mindset that nothing is off limits, um, but there are ways to do it. You know, um, I'm not into comedy that's, that victimizes or further victimizes people who are already victimized, um, or that's like, you know, particularly cutting to people that are already, (laughs) that have already bled enough, you know what I mean? Um, Yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I like pushing boundaries, and I like that feeling of like, ooh, maybe the audience is a little bit uncomfortable by this, but are we finding what can be funny out of something that hurts, or something that's painful to a community or to society? Are we finding the light in it, or are we twisting the knife further it's a fine line but I think that having seen you perform that is what makes you talented um, and and funny and also painful on occasion too I, I saw a set of yours with a partner and it was um, it was funny but there were moments when I thought I'm laughing at something that is really quite remarkably dark <laughs> uh, yeah I won't ask you to recall what it was but I can imagine um, yeah it seems to me that over the last 16 years, if not longer, but since I've been paying attention, we have turned more and more as a society to comedy to help us make sense of things. Mm. And we've been asking questions such as after 9-11, when can we find humor in the world again? When can we be joyful and light and actually realize that actually comedy has been the way out of the darkness? And the question then has turned into, when is it too soon to tell those jokes? <laughs> when you hear the audience go, ooh, too soon. That's how you know. Um, no, I don't know. That's a great question. In my mind, it's never too soon. But again, it's there's so much psychology to it. Uh, yeah, and I, like, nothing is off limits, but at the same time, you don't want to you don't want to turn people against you. Like you want the audience to be on your side. Um, it's tough, man. How do you read the audience and know what they are going to think is funny and what they're going to hate you for? I don't know. I don't have the answer. Um, it comes with practice, and you test things out, and you see how it goes, and you you find what you're comfortable with, 
and you know you never you learn to never cross lines with what you're comfortable with as a performer um that doesn't necessarily mean it's the audience has the same line but um if you stick to your guns and and do what you feel is appropriate and funny then you know go for it so you're mainly doing improv do you ever get heckled um it happens more with stand-up i think especially you know if you're at a comedy club people go and expect at an improv theater people go and expect to kind of be quiet and watch watch the show so we don't get that, that as much but i've done my fair share of stand-up sets in bars where people are like unexpectedly watching a comedy show like they think they're there, just there to have a drink and then they're like oh uh, crap a comedy show is going on and then um that's not fun but i, I yeah I, I don't have a ton of of uh, horror stories about hecklers I remember being in a comedy club in, in London and I, I went one week and I thought it was really good. So I went another week and found myself sitting close to the front and becoming the butt of the comedian's jokes. Um, but I, I sometimes think that maybe does, does comedy get a bad reputation in sure. that sense where uh, people feel as if they are being selected and their foibles are being called out in some way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I see that even, you know, at our comedy theater, people are hesitant to sit in the front row, even though it's a small theater, because you hear, you know, like, if you sit in the front row, you are subject, you know, you're subjecting yourself to be made fun of by the comedian. Uh, and I think that that's not unfair to think, but I also think that that's not really, I mean, that's not my bag as a comedian. Um, I don't like to, to bring in the people in the audience. I think it's kind of lazy. Like, I like to have written my jokes, and, and um, it's okay to, like, feed and kind of riff off of the audience a little bit, but part of your set, I don't think, should be just digging at the people in the front row. That's kind of boring and kind of unfair. Is there a formula for funny? No, I don't think so. I still, it still keeps me guessing. Like something I could play out in my head. I'm like, that is hilarious. And I say it out loud in front of an audience and get nothing. So who knows? I don't know. But you're also quite a performer. So tell me a little more about the improvisational side of your comedy. Yeah. So I, you know, I started in, in Omaha taking, taking improv classes and we have a great theater here called the Backline Improv Theater. Um, where you can take up to you know five levels of, of classes and, and then graduate and perform regularly. One of the great things about a smaller community, smaller comedy community, is the opportunities to perform. You know, if I were doing the same thing in a city like Chicago or LA or New York, I could be taking classes and paying much more to take them um, and not getting nearly the stage time and the experience that you get um, in a smaller community like we have here. So I think that's something that just really kind of. Uh, you know, it was a springboard for me um, being interested in comedy because I got to perform so often and you get that high and you get that fix, you know, from performing that you keep coming back. Um, so I think it's a lot easier to, to, to get hooked here. Um, and we've seen a lot of people that start out here and then they kind of move on to bigger to bigger cities and bigger theaters. So that's the that's the dream. Eventually, I'd like to, um, to you know, take this on the show on the road and see what I can do elsewhere. But for now, I'm having a great time here. It seems terrifying in some ways to embark on any comedic activity. So you and I uh, met because I was your student. Um, level one, improv class, there is just a group of students in a dark room with mm -hmm. you as a teacher. And I, after the first session, 
realized how terrifying this was and there wasn't even an audience there mm -hmm. and it it it's interesting to hear you talk about the opportunity to perform in front of an audience because that was a key point of of the class is that the pinnacle is to graduate by performing in front of an audience mm -hmm. and i found just the first class to be intimidating <laughs> let alone the audience yeah so this is a long rambling way of asking what prevents people from stepping into comedy uh i think what i hear the most is just people thinking like oh i could never do that uh i hear that so often and it's like just try it you know you might unlock part of your psyche or part of you know part of you that you never knew was there and and you won't unless you just give it a try it kind of goes back to what we talked about you know people sitting in the audience thinking i could do better well you can't unless you unless you try it and when you do try it you realize like you said how tough it is there's so much more that, that goes into it than just being a funny person um yeah i mean i would i think anybody should try it and could try it. it's not for everybody i won't say that but trying something for the first time is for everyone right except for like you know, heroin or something like that. Don't try that. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. <laughs> you are listening to Lies. We'll be back after the break. Listening to Mind and Soul 101.3 FM. Welcome back to Lives. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. And my guest today is comedian and musician Ariel Sinner. Uh, I touched on a little about the use of comedy in a larger social sphere and um, you know, when is it too soon to be comedic about serious issues, but it mm -hmm. seems as if comedy has been um, a way for us to make sense of the world around us and also to find a way to relish life even in times that are quite, quite dark. Does that seem to be a part of your comedic performance this idea of getting to the truth or revealing something interesting about the world we live in or is it really just slapstick and, and humor and as long as people are laughing that's okay mm -hmm. i love the truth and comedy um that's actually a book title truth and comedy is a great one to check out um that's something that i i really 
try to teach when I in my improv classes um, find what's real and find what's relatable because that is way more interesting that is way more funny than anything absurd that we could come up with here you know um, the the dynamic that I have between myself and you my scene partner is way more interesting than anything else um, and that comes from truth you know I always like I tell students if you ever stuck in a scene and you don't know where to go because there's like you know you're wearing banana shoes and you're on the moon and you're like what what is going on in this scene turn to your scene partner and tell them something real or reveal something real you know like turn to your scene partner and tell them like I love you. I've always loved you. And there you have something that's way more interesting than the banana shoes and being on the moon, right? Because it's something that everyone can relate to. So um, that's that's a huge influence for me and um, just pulling from reality and real feeling and bringing that into comedy. Do you find that what you do on stage now bleeds into your life out in the real world? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does. I mean, I feel like I'm a different person on stage and I'm not just meaning like imp- improvised characters. Uh, but you know, I have a, I have a nine to five, um, and I work, you know, a regular job like anyone else, but in the evenings I sort of get to change costumes and, and be a performer. Um, but of course the two bleed into each other and, um, my professional life is my professional life, but I still feel like there's a you know, there's an element of performing to it, even like presenting in front of a client or something. I feel like there's um, things that I've learned in improv- through improvising about performing and being in front of an audience that, that I can take into into both worlds. One of the lessons that lives with me from my improv class is, as you suggested, this idea of being real in the moment and also the vast amount of authenticity and uh, candor and honesty you need about yourself and the courage you need to just open yourself up to whoever is around you. And I've found that to have been influential in in my life too, in mainly small ways. It's not as if I've had a great epiphany and I've gone to the mountaintop and become a monk. (laughs) (laughs) But it seems interesting that comedy can maybe speak to how we live our lives more than perhaps I think people give credit. Oh, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's something else we work on and or we talk about in classes. Um, think about the times in your life when you have laughed the hardest, right? Um, you know, it's probably something real that happened. It's not, it's not because somebody said some joke or some, you know, made a pun. It's because something real happened with somebody that you care about. And it was just so funny that it hurts you physically because you're laughing so hard, right? Like those are the kinds of things that we want to bring into comedy, into improv. Um, Those kind of real moments, the funniest things in life happen out of reality, um, not out of some like formulated joke um, that you could think of, right? That's how I see it. Tell me uh, just a little bit about who you are okay uh well yeah I'm from Kansas City I went to school at K-State um I studied public relations and women's studies I moved up to Nebraska shortly after um where I started working for a social media agency I now work for an advertising agency um so I'm a digital producer so I you know I am an advertiser by day um and then I spend my evenings and weekends kind of chasing the side career as uh, a stand-up and um, an improviser and a teacher. Um, and then, I, yeah, I also perform with, with two bands. So I, I fill my time pretty well. Um, what, else, what else do you want to know? 
But what was life like growing up in Kansas City? Uh, sure. Well, I I have an older brother and, and two parents who split up when I was nine. Um, so I came from kind of a blended family. Um, I had a good childhood. I, you know, I never went without and was always provided for. Um, emotionally, I was a pretty sensitive kid. Um, you know, the parents' divorce was pretty hard on me. And then the things that ensue, you know, like second marriages and step-siblings and step-parents and these things that happen. Um, I always had kind of a, a tough time adjusting because emotionally I need a lot of... Um, I, a lot of reconciliation. I need to understand what these kinds of big changes mean. And I'm still very much that way, um, pretty affected by change. So I don't know how that, you know, fed into kind of who I am now and what that means for my comedy. But, um, yeah, I've always been a pretty sensitive person. This may be absolute rubbish, but I would suggest that comedians are finely attuned to the sensitivities of being alive in the world. Hmm. Let me take a step further and just say that if, if you are not capable as a human of having a sense of how people feel in situations, it's really hard not only to find the comedy in that, mm -hmm. but to do so in a way that isn't mean or nasty or you just miss the point because you're crass and vulgar about someone else's sort of felt experience. Mm -hmm. I guess I've never really thought about this in sort of those terms, but I think that that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think being an empathetic person can make you a really strong improviser. And maybe this is getting too personal, but I think part of being a really empathetic person can also make, or at least in my case, has also made me be a little bit manipulative with people's feelings. Because, you know, if you're empathetic, you can understand how people feel and you can predict how they will feel from certain situations. So you can set people up to feel certain things. Um which I think is super manipulative and not a great quality, but it's one that I happen to have. Um, but I think that that's interesting as a comedian and as an improviser, because you can, yeah, it's kind of that, it's a, it's a tool almost to be able to set people up to feel something, whether it's an audience or your scene partner or whatever. Hmm. I think you're onto something. <laughs> so tell me about your musical career then. Not one band, but we have to be greedy and have two bands. Yeah, right. Um, well, so it's a funny story. After I, you know, I graduated from school and I moved up to Lincoln and I put an ad up on Craigslist uh, where all good things happen. Um, and I was just like, hey, I play music. Here's a link to my YouTube or whatever. Um, and I got several weird responses. Um, and one that I thought was maybe a lead. Um, so that's how I met Will, who is now like one of my closest friends. We met out in public in the daylight, as all Craigslist meetings should go, um, and just hit it off right away. And he and I started working on a music project together. So we started um, Ariel and the Argonauts, which is a, a folk band. Um, so I front that and sing and, and play guitar. And then he had a side, you know, another music project that's more of like a funk band. So um, I joined up with them as well, and we started A Ferocious Jungle Cat um, which is now a seven-piece funk, soul, rock, hip-hop. I don't know how to describe it. Thunder funk is what we call it. It's a particular type of funk. Yeah. Wow. Nebraskan okay. thunder funk. Coin the term. Perfect. Yeah. Does it translate if um, you're on the coast? Could you understand Nebraska thunder funk? Hmm. I'd like to say yes. I think it's universal. So let me ask you, this being a show about community, what does community mean to you? 
Hmm. Well, that's a great question. Um, especially not being from here. Um, yeah, I've had to sort of build a community around myself. Yeah, I think especially the, the Omaha comedy community and the Omaha and Lincoln, uh, you know, music community, um, is pretty close knit. You kind of get to know everybody, um, as opposed to like a bigger scale scene. Um, it's cool. I, for me personally, I have gravitated more toward the music and the, and the improv scene than the stand up uh, because it's more about teamwork. Um, stand up is a very like solo kind of kind of gig. Um, and while you know a lot of comedians are really supportive of each other, it's almost like <laughs> like I want to be the best. So when I watch your set, I'm almost rooting for you to not do to do well, but not as well as me, right? But with with improv and with music, it's more of like I want to do my best, and I want to make the other people on my team look good because we, you know. If we all, if I look good, we all look good, then we're doing well. So it's more of a team effort. So that's what I, you know, that's what's spoken to me more so than, than stand up. I'm looking to connect comedy and community in some way, if it can be connected. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm wondering how comedy can help us be in community and or how comedy maybe can help us be just better at community. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's a great point. I think absolutely. Um, you know, we can all come together on something that's that's funny to everyone. Not that there's any one thing that's funny to everyone, and and people are going to have their preferences. But, um, you know, if <laughs> if two people who disagree on almost everything can come together to a comedy show and share a laugh, then isn't that helping? Yeah, I think so. There was one part of improv practice that you mentioned earlier that really stuck out to me as well, which is this idea that for an improv set to be successful and funny and enjoyable for the practitioners and also for, um, for the audience, the team has to come first and you can't put one individual performer uh, ahead of the others. And that makes me think about community again at large. Mm -hmm. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's about yeah the strength of the team um, rather than an individual performance. Although it seems un-American, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> to take the competition out of it. Well, yes, and and to some degree, the person who is obviously the funniest player on the stage, you have to step back a little bit to to not push yourself forward as the primary player, but you have to, you have to collaborate uh, with everybody else there. That to me is obviously un-American. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, you have the best perspective of that as, as an outsider. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, I kind of think about it in terms of, you know, like a sports team, right? Would you rather be the worst player on a really good winning team or would you rather be the best player on a losing team? Um, not you know it's not always so cut and dry but um to me it's about it's it's about the success of the group um and even even if that doesn't mean i stand out as the like star performer um you know that my name is the one that's getting written down in the newspaper um you know did the team succeed did we make people laugh did we achieve what we wanted to um and man does that translate into our current political climate absolutely I don't think people are thinking in those terms, though. Maybe they should be. 
Hmm. Ugh, well, that was kind of a bummer. <laughs> that doesn't that give you hope? <laughs> that gives me hope. That the, the the idea that um, maybe the next thing we can do is is have a um, a comedian, a, a real comedian, go to the White House. Who would you suggest? I always enjoyed Al Franken mm. before he became a senator, and now, of course, he's had to. It's almost like he's assumed the role of being a politician. Mm-hmm. And I, I think every now and again, probably behind closed doors, at some, you know, classified discussion, he drops a zinger about Putin and and <laughs> and, and Gandhi, and 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 then everybody laughs, and then he comes out and he's serious again. <laughs> yeah, Putin and Gandhi walk into a bar. I'm still on the Colbert train. Ah. Man. That'd be so great. Colbert playing a fictional character, playing Playing. a real character. (laughs) Um, I'm almost not entirely sure now if if Trump is actually playing as president or if he's still in a reality show. Yeah. I don't know if he knows. (laughs) (laughs) So are you really uh, Ariel Sinner or are you some other alternate here? Here right now? Yeah. Is life always a performance? I, it is. I, man, I struggle a lot with that. Um, the questions of what does it mean to be your authentic self? You know, that's something that we hear tossed around a lot or like, oh, doing this and that makes me feel like the best version of myself. I hear that a lot and I'm like, how do you know what that is? Because I have no idea. I could go in 60 seconds from feeling like the best to the worst version of myself. Um, I feel bipolar in that way, but uh yeah i don't know i i do my best to be me all the time i don't know if that's good or bad or but um that's part of what i love about performing you know improv um you can get out of your head and get into a character's head and it feels good to get out of your head for a little bit so as we draw to a close if you were giving any advice or counsel to people listening about finding and tapping into their comedic selves what what would you say to them hmm you know i would say uh, take a risk um whether that means taking an improv class or going to an open mic and trying five minutes of of stand-up um at least try it you know don't be one of those people that your whole life just says i could never do that or i wish i could do that just try it and see if you actually can or if you like it um you know don't just set yourself up to fail and see what happens. My guest this week has been Ariel Sinner. She is a multi-talented comedian, improviser, and musician known for her quick wit and clever wordplay. And you can see her perform regularly at the Backline Comedy Theater in downtown Omaha. And Ariel, thank you so much for being here this week. Thank you. Did I do okay? Let's tell you what, but I'm going to edit it. Okay, so perfect. Um, I'm going to dub in some Louis C.K. and stuff like that, so it'll be fine. Perfect. If you can manipulate the voice to sound like me, <laughs> all the better. <laughs> you are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. You are listening to Mind and Soul 101.3 FM. 
This is Dialogue, the part of the show where guests talk about our week's theme. This week's theme is comedy. Uh, with me today is Amy Amother, librarian at Omaha Public Library. Uh, she teaches part-time at Metropolitan Community College and is the host of Whatever Mothers, currently on hiatus. She loves art, yoga, and culinary history. Hello, Amy. Hi, Stuart. Uh, Diana Martinez is also here. She is the Film Streams Education Director. She is currently working on a PhD in film and media studies at the University of Oregon. Diana also writes about film and television. Her work has appeared in Slate and The Atlantic. Hello, Diana. Hi, Stuart. Finally, but not least by any stretch, is Keisha Holloway. She's a social selling butterfly at LinkedIn. She has a bachelor's degree in marketing, a master's degree in organizational leadership, and is a graduate of the Interface Web School Full Stack Java course. Keisha is a cancer survivor. She loves developing relationships and embracing human relationships. Hello, Keisha. Hello, Stuart. So comedy is a serious subject, uh, if you'll excuse the uh, pun. Uh, where, do you find, where do you find humor and comedy in your lives? For me, I've found a lot of comedy. I've had to because I got a puppy. And uh, <laughs> it was my first experience having a dog. Since I was a child, you know, growing up, we had dogs, but they were not pets. They were, my dad would get a dog. It was a big, ferocious beast, and he would keep it chained up in the back, and we were afraid to go outside and feed him. Um, so now I have two children who were asking for a dog, and I finally got a puppy. I love him to death. He's a cute Yorkie. His name is Tupac. And I had to learn compassion and comedy big time because he all he cares about is making me happy and um we had to do potty training and learning how he's not supposed to eat my shoes and things like that so i've learned to look at those different types of situations and laugh at them and look at him and smile and still embrace him and love him because he doesn't even understand half the time why i'm freaking out because <laughs> for example today he chewed up Lots of Halloween candy, and which has been interesting for our little puppy who sniffs things out. And my kids hide candy, I'm finding. And um, <laughs> so that's where I find my comedy in that's being a pet got owner. That's you Yorkie. <laughs> uh -huh. Thank God I have a husband that lets me fly my freak flag like there is no tomorrow because... <laughs> He finds me very humorous, which makes me laugh, and I'm I'm just being mean, weird. Um, so that's part of it. And plus, we watch shows that make us laugh a lot. Like right now, we're into Bob's Burgers. Yes, that's a funny one. That's <laughs> oh, the best it's show. brilliant! It is so brilliant. Um, so we watch one or two a night, and it's just funny. And I and I think. Randy thinks I'm Linda because I'm just like, everything's going to be amazing and here's my wine and I love everything because she's so positive and she's like, oh, Bob. And, you know, Randy's really like the Bob because he's a little like the glass is half full and I'm half empty and I'm like the glass is half full and it's full of red wine. So I find comedy with all the people around me. Like I can't be friends with somebody who doesn't have a sense of humor. Like my parents are hilarious. Sometimes they don't mean to be, but I think that they are. <laughs> um, yeah, and like all my friends, my boyfriend. But then also like I bond with people over comedy. Um, I think out of like any type of media, like if we like the same, we find the same things funny, then I can bond with that person. Because I think that's... 
that's something that doesn't always go very well. Like one person's sense of humor doesn't always translate or mesh with another person's sense of humor. So like for me, comedy, like the same comedians, same TV shows, same movies that we find funny. Like I usually feel drawn toward people who have the same comedic sensibility that I do. I find a lot of comedy in my children as well. And I see a lot of myself in them. And that's what's the most funny part. And I love watching them and hearing my my mother and my grandmother telling me how much they remind me, remind them of me, which is kind of funny, too, because I don't remember being five or six years old. So yeah. some of the things they do and say are funny and just witnessing their experiences and the way they see the world through their eyes is hilarious. What, I, what I've liked about the discussion just so far is that we've talked about comedy in, in a broad sense. There, there's the entertainment of comedy, and I think you mentioned Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I'm not familiar with that, but, oh, you know. You watch it. Watch it. And clearly I can tell you're going to be judging me now because, you know, am I, am I worthy enough if I've not watched it? But So, that you know, there's, there's manufactured comedy, which is wonderful, but then there's also this um, just day-to-day comedy, whether your dog's eating candy or just, mm-hmm. just the fun that we can find in life. And, and it makes me wonder... When we think about comedy, does it have a particular definition or is it really everything in anything we encounter in life that can make it, I don't know, brighter, laughable? Well, there's a difference between something being comedy and something being comedic, right? Like it might be funny, but is it I feel like comedy is one of those things that is meant to be funny. Right? Mm-hmm. It's manufactured to like be a joke or to be a funny story with the punchline or whatever. Um, but the the comedy of life, I guess isn't always funny immediately. And I think that that, that's the thing that stops it from being comedy, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're really frightened for your dog (laughs) having eaten all. So like it's kind of funny, but then also it's kind of not. Right. Yeah. So we can laugh about it when the danger is pushed on. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think that sometimes for for situations where maybe it's not as serious, being able to recognize that it's not that serious will will help you in carrying out the rest of your day. Like, for example, one time my dog chewed up the trash in the morning as we're on our way out the door. I don't have time for that. But if I can <laughs> laugh it out, I'm like, oh, that's so... Tupac, what were you doing? What were you thinking? And laugh it off. <laughs> my day will be a hell of a lot better and things won't continue to happen um, that are negative and have a, a a bad or a poor impact on the rest of my day and the way I see things, if I can laugh it out and find the comedy in it, laughter has the ability to kind of soothe the soul. I think sometimes, you know, when we're going through things in life, like I've been through divorce, and you you go through divorce, you think you're supposed to watch love romantic movies (laughs) and cry on your couch and reflect on what was. No, you're supposed to laugh and be happy and keep your mind off of things. And when I was going through things with my health with cancer, I need to watch things that are going to make me laugh. I don't want to watch things that are going to make me sad and think about the seriousness of life. Comedy has a way of soothing the soul and making you smile and reflect on the good things. I think about Parks and Rec. <laughs> oh, that's a good one too. Because it's an excellent reflection of like how cities do work and <laughs> like my job at the library. 
so like uh, are you crying and you're just laughter <laughs> <I was laughs> laughter because i'm like oh it's okay it's okay i see the you know the crazy red tape and mm-hmm. the rules mm-hmm. and yeah. you know parks and rec fighting with the library and for resources <laughs> i mean all of that in some ways is it's very true what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's like they were able to capture that in such an amazing, hilarious way with the people that they brought on board. Yeah, that phenomena, right, of it's it's funny because it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I love that. Um, at Film Streams, we have a program where we bring in high school students and we watch a movie and then have a discussion. So we just saw The Great Dictator. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, very relevant given our current political situation. Um, but... It was al- it almost hit that point where like it was so true that it wasn't funny anymore. Right. And is that the skill or the value of comedy in our lives that it it isn't just lightning, but we get to deal with real pain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels, you know, there's that question about is it too soon to be funny? Yeah. You know, like after nine yeah. eleven, when was it okay to be funny? Mm-hmm. Um, same with other other elements in our lives that seem maybe too serious to joke about, but yet we do mm-hmm. and needed i mean yeah. like dave Chappelle is an excellent example mm-hmm. of somebody who pushes the i mean goes into like whoa did that mm-hmm. just yeah. i mean i'm thinking reflecting back on years ago the dave Chappelle show i mean you mm-hmm. were like oh, did he just do that mm-hmm. and but it was great that he did because he's one of the few that really pushed boundaries that mm-hmm. like no other mm-hmm. um and sometimes I think that's exactly what we need. We're like, okay, we need to see this in front of our faces um, in a way that we could probably process it better than, like, through comedy. Mm-hmm. But comedy also becomes this, um, like, empowering form of commentary, right? So keeping on, like, the Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. topic, right, when when they choose to be comedic and when they choose not to be is really important. So, like, right after, like, 9-11, the... Um, you know, the cold open was actually like a very serious like tribute to the firefighters and the policemen of New York. And then right after the election, it was, um, you know, Kate McKinnon dressed as Hillary Clinton singing a Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, um, which was like a very somber way to open the show that's really comedic. Right. But they strategically like marked, you know, these big events with seriousness amidst this comedy. So. Like within comedy, like right. TV shows and and even sketches and stand up, um, you know, stand up routines. Those moments of seriousness have so much more punch mm-hmm. sometimes because they break up this long string of like hilarity and ridiculousness. to be lonely till you came along my way saw what I had been missing and now that I know you I can only feel sorry for all the years wasted without you by me so I've been in the Midwest for 12 years now, and um, the word that I landed on early in my uh, existence here was earnest. So my query then is, do we have enough humor? Like, should Omaha be funnier? I think Omaha's funny, to me, at least, Um, and I've been to a few other places. I think that um, there's a potential to be funnier, absolutely. Um, 
I don't think that we've tapped into the to it as much as we we could. I think for a place to be funny about itself, it has to know itself. Right. So one of the reasons that like Brooklyn comics are so good is because like there's this stereotype of Brooklyn that you can play on Mm -hmm. um, and then exploit for comedic purposes. But Mm -hmm. if you have a community that's still struggling with like self-identity, like it becomes a little bit more difficult. Although there's a great like um, shit Omaha and say YouTube Mm -hmm. video that I saw like a few weeks after I moved here and I was like, oh, my God, this is hilarious (laughs) because this is what people here say. So. I agree 100%. I think there's still the struggle of identity here. So it's hard to be funny about yourself if you don't know who you are. It's becoming the home of a lot of people from other places, Mm -hmm. too. Uh, Omaha's growing in that way. So that adds to the pot and gives us a, a very diverse mix of people with different perspectives that bring a lot to the city and a, a lot more to to look at in terms of what is funny about this place we call Omaha. Let me ask each of you, are you funny? I'm hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've never met anyone funnier. <laughs> <laughs> so what about we, we wrap then just with um, maybe sharing some funny experiences? So I was recently involved in a car accident. It was bad. There was this guy driving, and I didn't realize, well, okay, so after the car accident happened, you get out the car, and my kids are in the car. So I'm like, I'm living, I'm hollering, I'm screaming at the driver of the other car. I'm like, what were you thinking? And this guy comes over, and I thought he was the passenger of the car. Um, And he was just like, how are you guys doing? I'm like, what do you mean? How am I doing? I'm just yelling and screaming at this guy. Police finally arrive. And the gentleman who I screamed at and hollered and cussed out, comes over from across the street and is talking to the police officer and he's like, I saw the whole thing. I'm so sorry that it happened. And he tells play by play. So after it all happens and I come to and I realize that he wasn't in the car with other guy, I go over and I'm so apologetic about what happened. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I cussed you out and I didn't know you weren't in the car <laughs> with her. I was like, no, it's totally fine. I get it. It was a bad accident. So, um, that was the only humor I found in that experience. But I really appreciated him that day. Your stories began with tragedy, <laughs> right? Like these bad things that happen that you can find like small moments of humor in. So, okay, what not to do. What not to do is hang out at a bar all day having these craft cocktails and then later go to your boss's party like and get there and you're like, woo, <laughs> and I'm like high on life and proceeded to drink more and then in the middle of the party decided that I was going to show everybody like Tammy Lee lunges, like how to do them. <laughs> I was sequestered to a room to calm down. <laughs> Um, I don't have a really funny story off the top of my head, but I had a day that went um, completely awry that ended with me laughing about it. So I was, um, it was actually when I was flying back to Eugene after I had my interview here for with Film Streams. My flight was delayed twice, and I just wanted to get home. after it had already been delayed a day, and I just wanted to get home. And uh, I didn't think I had done very well in the interview. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to have a cry. And so I went in the shower and I like started crying because I was just like, got to get it out, you know? Um, and then I was like washing my hair whilst crying. Um, and then the, the lights went out. 
<laughs> the lights just went out and I had soap in my eye and I was like crying and I was like oh my god this is awful and I had it was super dark in the hotel bathroom <laughs> like there was no other lights and I was like okay fine and then you know I got myself together the lights went back out I got the soap out of my eye then I go to the airport I see that I don't have a I don't have a seat on my flight ticket um so I like go up to some anyone and I'm like I don't have a seat please help me I need to get home and they like gave me a seat they fixed it I get on the plane and I'm like walking and it's like okay 3G 3G I go up to 3G and there's a man sitting in the seat and I'm like um I have 3G and he shows me his ticket and he's like no I have 3G and I was like oh okay he did So he sat in the seat and I had to stay to the side and I was like, this is an awful day. And so finally the lady was like, well, there's a first class seat available, which you can have if no one else sits in it. And I was like, great. So I sat down there and I was like, okay, I'm ready. Because Omaha had gone really badly, actually, like my flight to here and so far right now. And so I sat in there and she was like, would you like some wine? You've had a hard day. And I was like, yes, please. And so she pours the red wine in a little cup and she goes to hand it over to me and she trips. And the entire cup of red wine goes all over my lap. And I just start cracking up, but also kind of crying a little bit. Because I was like, this is awful. I've been awake for like maybe 13 hours, like in the middle of the night. And then that was my day. And then as soon as we left Omaha, Everything got so much better. <laughs> and you still came back. Welcome and back. And somehow I came back. Yeah. Did you get the stain out? Um, thankfully, I think I was wearing these very same jeans, so they were pretty dark. Mm-hmm. But my shirt got, got ruined because it was red wine. That but, red wine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was like dabbing me, and I was like, no, that's my crotch. <laughs> she was being nice. Well, that seems a perfect note for me to say. With me in dialogue has been Amy Mather, <laughs> Diana Martinez, and Keisha Holloway. Thank you very much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. That's the end of this week's show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life.